of redemption. That's what the whole Old Testament's about. It's about symbols. It's about types. It's about shadows. You say, well, why? Why all those laws? Why all the... Well, that was simply God saying and saying it loud and clear. I am going to save this world. And I'm going to do it through a redemption through blood. But you see, we don't learn easy. We don't learn easy. And that's why they say the gift of a... Of a, of a uh, in other words, a gifted teacher knows the secret of repetition. Because repetition is the greatest method of learning. And it's when you repeat things continuously, continuously. That's why sometimes when you go into the Psalms and when you go into the books of the Bible, you say, what happened? It sounds like a broken record. I will praise thee. I will worship thee. I will adore thee, O Lord. I will exalt thee, O Lord. I will praise thee. I will exalt thee. I figured if we wrote five Psalms, that's enough. Don't need 150 of them. Yes, we do. Matter of fact, we could use two, three, or four hundred of them. Why? Because it's the repetition of it that brings it to our memory. Now, I share with you this day the communion table. Now, the communion table is a place of such blessing. Such blessing. Because in the communion table, it's, it's where every type, where every shadow, where every promise, where every... Uh, what shall we say, example of redemption is fulfilled. You go into the Old Testament and you will find three of, oh, you'll find dozens. I'll just touch one or two so you understand what I mean. When the Egyptians came out of Egypt and they were in their, in their wilderness, uh, their pilgrimage in the wilderness, one of the first problems they encountered was waters that they couldn't drink because they were bitter. And so the people called the place Mara, Mara, bitter, bitter waters. They couldn't drink it. Now these people were exactly like us. Soon as they tasted the waters, they said to Moses, why did you bring us here? We could have died in Egypt. Why did you have to bring us here? Now we have no water. And it was continuous bickering. And Moses just, you know, he couldn't take it. And he went to God and he says, Lord, what is this all about? What is it all about? And God looked to Moses and he says, look, take it easy. I'm going to tell you what to do. You see that tree over there? Cut it. Cut the tree? Yeah, cut the tree. And take the tree and dip it in the waters. And then have the people drink the water. You want me to cut the tree? and then dip it in the water, then have the pee. That's the way it's going to work out. I could almost hear God saying, Moses, just do it. Have you ever given instructions to a child? I'm Then you want to look at him, take him by the neck and shake him and say, just do it. God says, just do it, Moses. Go ahead, just do it. And Moses does it. And it's so beautiful because it says as that tree... As that bark went into the waters, the waters became sweet. There's one of the greatest types in the world about communion. Communion talks about the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Your life and my life is a walk of bitter waters. Bitter waters wherever we go. We thought marriage would save us. 
and it didn't. Bitter waters. We thank God when the children came, they would save us. Bitter waters. And we go on and, and we, keep, we, keep, we keep dreaming. We keep dreaming. It, it's over there. It's over there. It's over there. It's over there. Like we never reach it. We never will. Because life is just bitter water. What happens? It's not until the tree is submerged into our bitter waters that then our waters turn sweet. And that's what happened at Mara. The tree went into the water. And the people could drink. What's the symbolism? Not until the tree went in. The symbolism, not until Calvary is submerged in your heart. Not until you let Calvary, you let the sacrifice of Christ, you let Jesus and his wounded hands and his wounded feet and his open side and his blood flowing until that becomes the reality that you say, all right, come into my life. We do not believe it comes in through the communion, through the bread or the wine. But we do believe that in those symbolisms, we have the great truth of what he does when we receive him. And what does he do? What does he do? He comes into our lives and our bitter waters are made sweet. And that's the truth. You say, well, sister, I believe in the Lord and I've had a lot of bitter waters after I believe in the Lord. I mean, what? No, 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 no. Let's hold steady. When we talk about bitter waters, we're talking about things we can't handle sort of, it's just like the sin problem. We can't handle the sin problem. We try to get better, we try to do things better, but we can't really handle it. It's not until God lets us see that the only solution to sin is believing in him. And that's a beautiful experience, folks. That's just one of them. In the wilderness, they had another experience. And that's an experience that came because they murmured. Well, they were always murmuring. But then they were bitten by snakes. And they were dying. They were dying. And it was like a plague. And it just about covered uh, so much of the encampment. And God goes to, uh, Moses goes to God again. And he says, now what? What do we do now? What, how, how do we stem this? How do we stop this? And God says, well, look, once again, take a tree and put on the tree a bronze serpent. Have one of your men make it. That's it. Put it in the center of the camp. You want me to put a bronze serpent on a tree in the middle of the camp? What's that going to do? Do they climb up the tree? Well, what, 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 what is it? Once again, God says, just do it. Move. And he did. Then the word was spread out through the whole camp. If you're sick and if you're dying, just come to the door of your camp and look up to that pole, believe it or not, with that serpent on it, and you'll be healed. If you was dying of a snake bite and they told you to look somewhere and you would be healed, how many here would do it? Let me see your hands. I'm, in, I'm interested. Oh, they, they were like Israel. They didn't do it. Once again, would you do it? Okay. Many of you wouldn't, right? 
How many would not? Let me see. Come on. Honest. There's some that wouldn't do anything. How do you like that? They're not going north or south. They ain't getting caught in this trap. It's not a trap. It's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Some were told that this is what would happen and they believed. And they looked and they were healed. And others said that's stupid. I don't do stupid things. And they didn't. And they died. They died. Everybody that came out of the tent and looked to the pole with the snake, the bronze snake, was healed. Those that didn't were not. Let me tell you how Calvary reminds the world of that incident. God gave his son to die on a tree. And God says, if you look to that tree, my son will save you. And there are people out there saying it's stupid. It doesn't work that way. Have you ever heard somebody talking about religion like they were? Geniuses. No, you see, religion is man-made. Religion is a facet of uh, human weakness. Uh, religion, uh, well, it's... Uh, a little hard to say, but like the opium of the masses. It's a, it's, it's a form of control. It's, it's where people dominate and make other people subservient. That's what religion is. I will agree. But we don't preach religion. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach the man of Calvary. We preach the man that was sent by his father. And he is the son of God. And the scripture says that if you look to him... You will be saved. Now, if you don't, if you think that's stupid, there's nothing I can do. I will press, I will preach, I will sow the seed. These doors will be open until Jesus comes. This chapel will be here unless we move to bigger quarters and we'll be doing exactly what we do here. Preach the gospel, the true gospel. It's not the only true place, but it is the true gospel. There are lots of places to preach. Preach the truth. I say this to you simply because, to me, one of the healthiest times in our life is time of communion. And yet it becomes the spook to some Christians. It becomes a time of fear and fright. Well, I remember in being brought up, and I was told that uh, if, you, if you were in sin and if you weren't right and if you were... If anything was wrong with you, you took it, you would die. And I thought to myself, there's everything wrong with me. Can you ever think? Just think in one day what can happen to you. You know, we, 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 we don't have, make a habit of cursing. We don't curse. Anyway, we shouldn't. All right? <laughs> Yet how many curses do we curse that no one ever hears? You know, somebody, oh, cross you on the highway, right? Just for a minute. Yo! Not one came out, thank God. We feel redeemed. But boy, did they ever gush out of here. Talk, uh, talk about rivers of uh, unclean water. Because that's the reality. That's the reality. Folks, I am so glad... 
that as I share this truth with you, God knows us. God knows us, folks. And I don't want you to be afraid of communion. Some people say, well, I haven't been around in so long, and I've, I've you know, after all, I mean, it, it, it's like, isn't it like a custom for Christians? Isn't it like a custom for saints? Isn't it like a custom for people that are really, really dedicated? No, not necessarily. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do you care to remember him? Do you care to remember his love? Do you care to remember his kindness? Do you care to remember his grace? Do you care to remember his joy? Do you care to remember his goodness? Do you care to remember how much he loved you? Do you care to remember how he took children in his arms and he blessed them? Do you care to remember how he opened the blind eyes? Do you care to remember the miracles he worked and continues to work? Do you care to remember? He says, do this in remembrance of me. So there ought to be an anxiety about getting to the table because when we sit there, I'm going to be thinking about Jesus. I'm going to be thinking about Jesus. The Old Testament, all its symbols, all its signs, culminate in Christ. That's why Jesus says, I have not come to cancel the law. I've come to fulfill it. From here on in, we walk in the fulfillment of the law. And it's fulfilled in him. And that's why when, it's just, it's just a strange way. When God sees us, he sees us through Jesus. And Jesus is absolutely pure and perfect. And that's the way he's looking at us, through his son. Oh, I love that. I know it's a hiding place. I know I need a lot of work done on me. I know I need a lot more prayer. I know I need a lot more Bible study. I know I need a lot more of everything. But I'm so relieved when I think that he sees me through Jesus. I'm so relieved. And I'm relieved at the fact that I can hide in him. And I'm relieved at the fact that I can say, Jesus, help me. Just once more, okay? I keep saying once more, but it never ends. Each time I go, it's just once more. Once more. And you know what he says? He says, come unto me. And I will in no wise cast you out. And whoever comes, I will give him the power to become a son of God, for I have made it possible through Calvary. So come on, come on, don't stay away. Don't stay away, come on, make it. Run the race with me, I'll never leave you. So as we come to the communion table today, we come in the knowledge that he did it all. And all we have to do is accept it. And can I tell you something else? We often ask you to accept Christ as your Savior. And we do it because it's our great joy to invite you. But you know, biblically, you do it all by yourself. Spiritually, you do it all by yourself. You don't need anybody's help. Oh, we coax and we argue and we push you on. And we say, do it, do it, do it, do it. But you know, you don't need anyone to tell you to do it. Just do it. Just simply say, Jesus, I love you with all of my heart. I've never learned to love you. I've always seen you as an object of religion. I've always seen you kind of somebody far away. I, I've seen you as something of maybe a statue in a church or maybe a picture in a book. Uh, maybe in a Bible, or maybe in some a cultural Christian reference. I've seen you. But, I, but I, I, that's it. And then he says, come unto me.
That's all that counts. I have had the most beautiful experiences of my entire life in this small chapel. When sometimes in a very unreligious way, we might gather upstairs for a cup of coffee or we might gather to clean the church or we might gather to take boys uh, out or play baseball or ladies to come in for a conference. And all of a sudden I turn to someone that, oh, I've been seeing you for years. And I ask a very simple question. When did you commit your life to the Lord? And the answer comes back and said, says, oh, about a year and a half ago, about two years ago. And I just look. And I say to myself, thank you, Lord. We didn't book it. We didn't put it in a book. We didn't count it. <laughs> but it happened. It always happens. And it happens because it doesn't depend on us. It happens because it doesn't depend on whether we give you entrance or we don't give you entrance. It doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend if I approve that you be here or I don't approve that you be here. It doesn't depend upon if I like you or if I don't like you. Isn't that marvelous? It doesn't depend on anything like that. It doesn't depend if you're rich. It doesn't depend if you're poor. It doesn't depend if you have uh, this lifestyle or that lifestyle. It really doesn't depend. You say, watch it, Sister Amy. No, I won't watch it. It doesn't depend. It only depends on one thing, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, and then He starts the great process of transformation. And you know something? He's careful in that process. I want you changed in a week. I'll roll you over in three days. I want a quickie done. I want to be able to lift you up and say, oh, he's saved and sanctified and fully. Woo, 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 woo. And God looks at me and says, will you sit down? That's not, that's not. And I love him for that. I love him for that. No, he rejects no one, folks. Because you see, he knows how to work it out. The scripture I read for you for the opening of this service was a scripture which simply reflects one of the greatest truths you've ever read in the Bible. Where God sends uh, Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And to seven sons, a big, tall, strapping, good-looking man. And Saul is ta uh, Samuel is taken in by all seven of them. This one could be he's good looking. This one could be he's tall. This one could be he's woo. This one could be that one could be that one could be. And, and the spirit of God says to Samuel, it's none of them. You don't have another son? Well, we got the kid. I mean, I got my baby up in the hills. I got the teenager up there. But look, he's like this. Big red face. Cute little eyes. But all he does is take care of sheep. I'm sure that's not the one you want. Oh, by the way, he sings pretty good too puts those sheep to sleep at night. You should hear him. That's it. What, what a recommendation. Samuel says, send for him. And in walks little David. I can imagine David saying, are we having a party? What's happening? And then when he sees the big man, because Samuel was the big man. Folks, it's like Bush pulling up in a, in a, in a Cadillac over there. 
and saying, hey, I'm going to Crossroads today. Walk in. We, we, we wouldn't even hear the sermon. Bush is here. I mean, you'd all be paralyzed. Him and I would just have to talk. Sam, little David walks in and says, wow. Samuel, wow. He's the president. What's he doing in my house? Well, we'll we read the Bible. When Samuel came, came to King Bethlehem, everybody got scared. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? They said, that's ah, cool. We're just going to have a praise service and offer a few sacrifices. And when Samuel sees David, God says, this is the one. And I could hear Samuel in his mind saying, he doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a king. He's not. I mean, this is a kid. I mean, am I wasting my time? And then I love the answer God gives. That's how I know there was conversations, by the way, the Lord answers. I I know God picked up the conversation from in here. You understand? Because then God answers and says, Samuel, you look for what I don't care about. You look to see if he's tall, if he's good looking, if he's handsome, if he's got a body, if he's got a presentation, if he's ready for Channel 7. That's what you look for. Hollywood. Not me. Mm -mm. Not me. And then God says something beautiful. He said, God looks upon the thoughts and the intent of a person's heart. Ooh. Folks, God digs deep. God hangs out in here. This is his place. We're busy smiling. We're busy waving. We're busy being. He's busy here. In here. In here. Okay? I simply bring that out to tell you that God deals with the inside of our hearts. He always has whether it be Old Testament and picking a king, whether it be New Testament with his son on Calvary. And that's why redemption is a thing of the heart. You've got to want Jesus. You've got to know you can't live without him. We're not talking religion because Jesus isn't Protestant and Jesus isn't Catholic. Jesus was a Jew. He was Hebrew. But Jesus came to show us and to teach us God's way of redemption. I share this with you today simply because... I want you to come to the communion table. First of all, understanding that God says come. Understanding that God says I welcome you. Understanding that God says it's for you. I will bless you now in a very special way. I'm going to do it. So you come. Fear not. You say, sister, but, but, but like, 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 let me tell you the truth. Like, like I haven't been behaving right okay no problems with that you come with confession on your lips and all you have to say is lord forgive me and mean it lord forgive me and mean it you approach god knowing he will forgive you if you're sincere if you're for real there's forgiveness for you right now and let me just take something else and say it don't ask for signs of forgiveness Always somebody's looking for a cold chill. Always somebody is looking for a a special touch. Always somebody's looking for uh, something to get inside of them. We're such emotional people. So we tend to want everything from God sealed emotionally. 
And I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell it to you. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. God is very cold-blooded. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? That doesn't sound right. It sounds like you're not saying the right thing. No, no, no. I am saying the right thing. In other words, God doesn't deal with emotions just like when he picked a king. It's not how good looking the kid looks. It's not how strong he looks. It's not how he's going to appeal to people. God looks down into the heart and says, uh, do you want me? Tell me. And you say, yeah, 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 I do. Because you don't really know. I mean, you wouldn't dare say no. You're not, you want him, but you're not ready to tell him all the reasons why you don't think he'll take you. And God says, no, I'll take you. You want me? I'll take you. Ooh, I love that. I love that. So don't go asking God for a special chill. Don't go asking God for goosebumps. Don't go asking God for some emotional experience that'll pin you to the wall. Don't. Don't. Take him at his word. He says, I'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. I am forgiven. Oh, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. As we have come to the table, let's remember that. He died for us. Every sign was fulfilled. Every plan of atonement was fulfilled. Then let's come in praise and worship. I'm going to ask you today as we take communion, I want you to get excited. I want you to get excited. I want all fear to leave you. I want you to get excited. And the excitement I want is in, in, in your inner man. The highest pinnacle man can reach on earth is when, a heart, when he worships God with a heart of adoration and thanksgiving. When he explodes in prayer. Yeah. Then, of course, we come remembering that he's coming soon. I don't know about you, but I'm expecting God any minute. I'm expecting Jesus to break the blue any minute. I really mean that. I'm making plans for a thousand years. I ain't going to live a thousand years, but I'm making plans for a thousand years. I'm going to work with the goal of, of, of at least a hundred more years in, in, in tune. I, I plan for your children. I plan for your grandchildren. I may even plan for your great-grandchildren. Okay? Because this is what God's told me to do. But you know something? Right in the middle of it, he's going to come. Can you see us building the pool in our gymnasium of our new tabernacle and the trumpet sounds? Can you imagine that? I'll probably say, Lord, let us take the pool with us. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He's coming again. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Oh, you don't have to bow your heads. You can sit back comfortably. Just close your eyes. Enjoy the comfort of our chapel. And I'm going to tell you something. My Jesus loves you. Ask for forgiveness at this very moment. He says, I will forgive thee. Yes, he will. Matter of fact, as you pray, he is forgiving you. Do me a favor. Just accept your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me, Jesus. Just say that over and over in yourself. Thank you for forgiving me. With the ushers and those that are ready come forward. We're going to serve communion. Do not take it out of fear or do not not take it out of fear. A new job, a new situation. Now the very first thing that comes to your mind is simply uh, what will they require of me?
If it's a job, you want to make sure it's something you can do, you can handle. And if you can't, something that you can uh, hurriedly learn, because there are things you don't know on new jobs. Uh, I just spoke to a young man yesterday who said he went in for just a, a regular technician's job. He thought he'd carry an oil can in his hand and uh, uh, just uh, help splice a few wires and put things together. And, and today he's a big-time uh, computer man. And he says, he says, I didn't start out like this because I didn't think I had the brains for it. He says, I did what I thought I could best do, what my training was best for. And it's so interesting because he went in and the world is turned upside down for him. Went into a maybe ten or $11,000 job, and all of a sudden he sees himself in a situation of a forty dollars or $50,000 job, and it was uh, just the ability uh, to learn. So the first thing you want to know wherever you go is, uh, uh, well, what do they want of me? What, what do they require of me? And today we're going to speak spiritually. What does God want from you? Okay? I, I don't know about you, but I've met some, some really weird people in this world. And whenever you talk about church, they want to know what, what, what you get out of it and what you give into it. Uh, what does the church require of you? They're awfully worried about money, especially. Uh, there's a Muslim group called Five Percenters, and, and the Christians are called uh, Ten Percenters, and I don't know if there's some 20 or 30 percenters out there, but everybody's got a different name and a different situation. Uh, but the Bible says, what does the Lord require of thee? Now, this is God. This is the prophet speaking to the people, being used of God to speak to the people. And listen to how simple it is. The Lord says, uh, all I want you to do is to do justly, okay? Now, to do justly, what are we talking about? We're simply talking about doing right. That's all. Right, that which balances on the scales of justice as right. That which comes out even in terms of pleasing God and pleasing man. But we're living in a world that we've got to be careful. Because you can please man and not please God. But when you're talking about justice, you've got to make sure it pleases God. Okay, because there are lots of businesses and lots of situations. I always remember one young lady who uh, almost lost her job, it worked for a big concern, a very big concern. She was controller and head, uh, you know, of finances and books. And it was interesting because they sent out statements every month and people would pay their statements. And you know what happens with a delayed payment? Well, then another statement goes out. And some people aren't too good and some people don't keep good books, so they would repay it. And while she was on the books, she took very good care to make sure that all repayments were refunded. And one day her boss found out what she was doing. She said, no, 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 you, you let that lie. Aha. And she says, I'm a Christian. I don't think I can let it lie. He says, well, then it'll cost you your job. And she says, well, then let it. But she was too good and he didn't throw her out. So that's one time where it worked out okay. It doesn't always. It doesn't always. But you say to yourself, who do you have to please in this life? Who do you have to give an answer to? Who is the one you have to be just for? God. Oh, and you know, hey, can I tell you something? It clears all the cobwebs. It clears all the garbage. It clears all the situation. 
Because for some people, let me tell you, you could be crooked. For some people, you could be nothing. They couldn't care. They couldn't care if you went east, west, south, north. They couldn't care. But when it says, do justly. Now, this is what's required of God. I remember as a prison chaplain, I spent maybe a year and a half or two just going through the Proverbs and the Psalms and finding out all those scriptures that were so clear where it said that ill-gotten gain uh, leads to no uh, to no good. Ill-gotten gains does not satisfy. It doesn't build a home. It doesn't bless a life. It doesn't. It, in other words, there's nothing positive out of ill-gotten gains. And when you realize that God runs the show on earth, when you realize that God is the one that He is in charge, folks, you say, "Oh well, if He's in charge, why all these murders? If He's in charge, why all of this?" Wait a minute. He's in charge of retribution. In other words, He's in charge of the end. Many of the things are out of control simply because man is out of control. Simply because man has told God where to go and he is going to go in his own way. You know what I mean. God depends on man's will. And you say, but, uh, you know, you see, there's, the, there's, there's where we come into conflict with justice. That's where we come into conflict with God. That's where we come into conflict with theology. Because we don't want God to be God. We want God to be Superman. We want God to be Batman. We want God to be Spider-Man. You know what I mean. We want God to be a superhero uh, that intervenes uh, in every moment and uh, uh, brings forth justice the way we want it. No, he's not Batman or Robin. And you know what he's left this world to? Human government. And you say, what a horror. You better believe what a horror. But that's simply why we have to dedicate so much time to pray. That's why we have to dedicate so much time uh, to ask God to cover us with his precious, uh, uh, the, the blood of his precious son. That's why we have to ask God to monitor our lives. Uh, I say, God, do whatever you want with me. Matter of fact, don't even ask me for permission anymore. You've got it from here till eternity. If it's best for me, if it's your will, go ahead. Even if it kills me. You say, well, can you send in an order like that? Does it work? No, it doesn't. Because each trial demands its own answer. So there is no, there's no seals that you can give God. But that's the way we feel. Do justly. How do you do justly in an unjust world? Isn't that, isn't that... Have you studied our law system? Have you studied our government? Have you studied our court system? It is frightening. It is frightening. There are more laws to set free criminals than anything you could ever imagine. A technicality, a technicality with a good, sharp lawyer that knows how to pick up pieces that can have a case thrown right out the door. The man is as guilty as guilty can be. Yet out the door, he goes, what a technicality. Well, that's the law. And we have to go by the law. You know, that's why I thank God. Because there's a red light on that corner that tells the cars to stop and it tells the cars to go. But you know what? When a policeman stands under that light, that light's not worth a thing. Because if it's red and the policeman tells you to go, go. Why? Because he's the embodiment of law. That's just the technicality of law. And this is why, folks, it's important to have God under that light. That's why it's important to get your orders, your go sign from God. 
And I, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a tough subject, and I'm not even going into it further, because when you talk about justice, it, it gets so hairy. It gets so difficult. It gets so, uh, you don't know sometimes. But I do know this, that one of the demands of God on our life is to do justly. And then number one, no matter what it costs, no matter what it costs, because if you don't, it's going to cost you a lot more in the long run, a lot more in the long run. And this isn't just Old Testament. You say, sister, you're in the law. You're in Micah. You're in an Old Testament prophet. Oh, don't even bug me on that one. Because if we get into the New Testament, then you have chapter 6, 7, and 8 of the kingdom uh, laws uh, that Jesus establishes uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, which is Jesus, and its righteousness, the right things within that kingdom, and all things will be added unto you. We like the first part. We never pick up the middle part. We love the thought of seek ye first the kingdom of God. We love that. But it's righteousness. We kind of forget it. That is the answer to just this. Do justly. And that's important. It's important that we do justly. You know, sometimes it's, the issue is no one saw me. No one was there. And there's another issue which is like a joke. They would have thrown it away anyway. <laughs> Don't you worry about what they're throwing away. You go ask for permission to take it. Okay? And you say, oh, but that's... Uh, no, I couldn't care less. Now I, now, I, now I have to go to the kosher commercial. We have to give a count to a higher authority. And that's all there is to it. And we're not talking about Frankfurters. Okay? This is very important to us. So when we say, what does the Lord require of thee? What does the Lord require of thee? That you do justly. That you do justly. There is a sickness out in our world today where if you don't get caught, that's, that's the 11th commandment of, of the correctional system in the world. God has 10 and they have one. Thou shalt not get caught. Okay, in other words, everything's okay if you don't get caught. But let me tell you this. There is a God that judges and weighs the whole thing out, folks. And once we come into a consciousness of God, once we come into a consciousness of who he is, then all the subtleties of whoever wants to sell us a bill of sale in which God is totally eradicated. We, we're not buying. We're not buying, folks. Because right now, our life is intrinsically tied to God. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You love him. He's your Lord. He's your master. Well, hey, he calls the shots. And the beautiful thing about it is, go buy it. Because the law of God sooner or later reaches us. You know, the mills of God grind exceedingly slow, but exceedingly fine. It takes God a long time to catch up with us, but when he does, what a tripper he is. And it's the truth, folks. Whatever a man sows, this he shall reap. It's a law of life. You can't get away with it. This is why sometimes when we speak to young people, you kind of want to scream, you kind of want to shout, you kind of want to jump, but there's nothing you could do but to say it quietly and ask the Holy Spirit to take the truth home because it's a spirit that only can take the truth home because sooner or later life does catch up with it. Young people think they're immortal. They think they're going to live forever. 
Because you see, you talk to a 19-year-old, you talk to a 15-year-old, you talk to a 20-year-old, and, and the lifespan is 75. Well, they're so far away from 75, they say, whoa, whoo, I got, I got the whole highway ahead of me. And they shoot for 120 on that highway. But no, it's not so. It's not so. May God help us to live with the consciousness of God. And I mean that. I, I've got a lot of quirks in my life. Speed. Cheating. A lot of things that just, uh, hey, uh, we're in this world and we've got to behave. And God demands that we do. Okay. Do justly the righteousness of the kingdom. What does the Lord require of you for you to do justly? And then listen to this, to love mercy. To love mercy. Now I'm going to make a few little arrangements here. I'm going to knock a few things out of your mind and your thoughts. I'm going to change them around a little. I'm going to give you some things that you have as synonyms for mercy, which don't count. Which don't count. When God says to love mercy, it's not mercy out of pity. You know, ay pobrecito, oh that poor thing. That's not it. That's not it. It's not mercy out of public opinion. I've lived through public opinion. Public opinion can crucify you. And they do the very best job in the whole wide world. The scripture says to love mercy. And not mercy out of public opinion. Even if it's positive. That's not the mercy he's looking for. And it's not to love mercy out of convenience. Oh, oh let's be kind. He's got a rich father. Oh, let's be kind. He's so talented. We could probably use him later. Okay. That's not the mercy we're talking about. And it's not the mercy out of directives. Listen, you do this to that fellow. You do that for that girl. You do. Yeah, it's, that's not the mercy he's talking about. You say, Sister Amy, well, what on earth is it? What are you talking about, mercy? You're talking about being so close to God that his spirit has entered your heart and it's his spirit that then determines what shall we say the conclusions you come to he has murdered he has killed uh, he has done horrors uh, and then our instinct and our human justice rises up and says well uh, human government and human justice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and you say now wait a minute I'm a Christian I, 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 don't, I don't go that way the scripture says this alright well wait a minute let's, let's hold up because we've got two thoughts that are coming into heavy con uh, collision what do we do with them to love mercy is to move into that place and to move into that position so close to God that his vibes flow through you. And we come to the conclusion that though a sinner, we do care. Though a murderer, we do care. Though something inconceivable, I will have mercy. You see, 
A person with mercy, real mercy, is a person that has a, an ability to see himself in the position that someone else is in and understand his weakness in that position and how he would cry out to God in that position. So it's seeing others in a position where he stands with God. And the cry immediately is, oh my God, if I were to do it, be merciful unto me. But sometimes because it's somebody else that did it, we couldn't care less. And we throw them to the wolves or to the lions. It's a mercy that comes out of the gut. It's a mercy that is sown in the heart by the presence of God. It's a mercy that's there when maybe your logic would refuse it and cast it out. It's still there. It's a mercy that feels because God lets you feel. I'm always worried about insensitive Christians. I'm always worried about Christians that have a circle and it's them, their family, and their belongings and their possessions. And so long as you don't touch it. I went to a banquet Friday night and we were having a great time at the banquet. A mother-daughter banquet and we were throwing things left and right and it was beautiful. There was a moment there, people were rolling in the aisles. But then I came to the delicate part of imitating mothers. The delicate part of seeing the image and wanting to be it. Then all of a sudden I, I said, Mother, has your counsel been? The neighbors across the street are black now, so you watch out. I don't want to see you with them. They shouldn't be in this neighborhood. Now I'm preaching in a neighborhood in upper suburbia and there were two black people in the room to a head of over 200 people. I didn't do it to be cruel. I didn't do it to be unkind. I simply did it because that's it. Our children will be who we are. Our children will have our mercy. Our children will have our love. And if it's fake and make-believe, I want to tell you something, folks. Everybody stop laughing. There was a stillness in the room that you could have cut it with a scissor. I pray and I ask that it be the stillness of the Holy Spirit. And I mean that. I mean that. But once again, to love mercy. To love mercy. To love mercy. It's, it's not to like it. It's not, no, it's to love mercy, to love it. The mercy that's extended by God. I think of the Old Testament, and I'm thrilled. When somebody would commit a crime that was, you know, that they shouldn't have committed, that was an accident, God set up cities of refuge. In other words, in God's mercy, he didn't leave. He didn't leave. What can I say? He wanted an opening in, in the fence. He, he wanted a place where people could run and hide. Why? Because that's God's mercy. You and I know that you can't talk a lynch mob into mercy. God knew that. So he says, make me five cities. Make them tall. Make them accessible. 
Don't let anybody get near them and let people run in for refuge. That's God's mercy. Do you have any cities of refuge? We've got to build a few. Okay? Do justly. Love mercy. And then it goes on and it says, walk humbly, not beside, with. I love that. Walk humbly with thy God. It's not a God that you call to walk with you every now and then. It's not a God that you give him a little piece of the highway with you. It's a God that's always with you. Okay? Walk humbly. Where does humility start? It starts with an acknowledgement of who is God. And that's why when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And that's why when he gave his only sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which was the only one he ever gave, when he gave that sermon, how does he start it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There it is. There it is clearly, acknowledging who he is. And that's why when we go before God, we say, Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, great God of heaven. I, I love all the titles we could ever think of. God of creation, God of love, God of mercy, God of power. Acknowledge who he is. And acknowledge it when you don't feel like acknowledging it. You know, there are days you wake up, you're not too spiritual. How many know that? Anybody here? Oh, good. There are days you're not too spiritual. You don't roll out of bed. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. There are days that are, hmm, bummers. Can we say that? Sure. But if you acknowledge him, he'll be there. And tell him so. The Lord loves to hear that. Lord, I don't feel you close today. I'm kind of alone today. You know, you know, what, you know what they claim depression is? Anger turned inward. Isn't that interesting? It's a false humility. It's things inside which aren't dealt with. But you don't have the nerve to deal with them outwardly. So you throw them in. And as you throw them in, your elevator goes down, down, down. And there comes a moment when you shut the elevator and it's over. And you zombie around. You know what you do at those times? You've got to acknowledge who he is. Lord, I adore you and I worship you and I praise you. Come against your depression. Come against your lows. Uh, come against your tiredness. Come against your anger. Come against it in worship and praise. Amen. You say, Sister Amy, that's the least time I want to praise. Yeah, that's precisely what it's all about. When you don't want to do it. You say, but then I'm being hypocritical. No, you're not. You're being obedient. And that's the difference that we don't know. We think if we feel it, it's obedience. No, it's when you don't feel anything and you do it. That's obedience. And that's the way it goes, folks. It doesn't go any other way. It's God's truth. So what do we have to do? Acknowledge him. And you know something? If you acknowledge him at all times, if you acknowledge him day and night, if you acknowledge him, listen, talk to yourself. I don't care. And there may come a time in your life when somebody looks at you and says, I don't believe you. Because there are times like that. I don't believe your prayers. 
don't believe you're talking to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But that's okay. That's okay. And thank God that they can say it because that, that, that's their anger coming out. That, that's their evaluation system moving very fast and rapidly. That's them trying to make something out of your... Okay? So don't always think that when you're seeking, the, the, the one next to you is going to say, Oh, how precious. Oh, my wife, she's always filled with God. You know what he's going to say? Let me get out of here. I don't even want to be near that lady. Forget it. The same thing the other way. Oh, folks, I always go back to the same thing, and I'm going to die saying it to you. Life is a circle, and in that circle, it's just you and God. There's no one else in there. There's no one else in there. Somebody says, no, me and my husband, we do everything together. <laughs> do come to the couples club, couples retreat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, come on. Come on. That's another joke. You are an individual human being. I don't care how much you love your wife. You are an individual woman. I don't care how much you love your husband. When it comes to settling issues of the soul and of the spirit, no one stands there. It's you and God alone. And those issues have got to stand and they've got to be. And people have got to see them. They've got to know that we've drunk of the Lord and that this is what our spirit has. And hey, here's where I'm at. And in good Puerto Rican, it's over. That's it. It's over. The issue is settled. All right? Acknowledge him and give him worship. And then obey his word. All right. Now I want to talk a little bit about humility because I love humility. Because I need a lot of it. Humility is not low self-esteem. Have you ever heard somebody, I'm nothing, I'm really nothing. No, I'm nothing. You can't even count on me. And humility is not the back seat on the bus. You hearing me? That's not humility. Okay? Humility is not being stepped on and you're saying, oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Anybody steps on you, you know what you want to do to them? I cannot say it from the pulpit. <laughs> Roll them over. And a lot more. Okay? That's not it. And humility isn't hanging your head. You know, you see something. I, I always remember listening in, in, in Spanish, and I'll translate it for you. You know, somebody comes in with their head, big, big, big Bible. You know, it's got to be a big Bible. Big Bible. And they come through, and their head is over to one side. And everybody goes, Ah, que humilde. Santo varón de Dios. Oh. Whoa, pack that up. That's not. It's not. The hanging head is not humility. The big Bible is not humility. The awe, the aura, the awe of, 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 of holiness. It's not. It's not. A guy was in a meeting one day. And, and the head of the, the, the organization walked through. And I could hear everybody in low tones. Santo varón de Dios. Santo I thought to myself, ooh, ooh. This is not working out. You see, folks. That's why we can't afford a pope. We cannot afford one. We cannot afford anyone that requires and that thinks that their position is so designated from heaven that that can be accorded and that that can be accepted. No way. For the only representative God gave us on earth was his son. And there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. 
and him we must, uh, uh, you know, move into him and into his world and into his great truth. Now, what is humility? Number one, it's accepting God's greatness. I'm always amazed, and, and this I read, and it, it just thrilled my heart. I'm always amazed when you think of the scientists, and they talk about creation. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? They give more power to matter than to mind. Isn't that interesting? Matter. It convulsed. It exploded. It vomited. And we've come all the way up to computer chips. Isn't that magnificent? All from matter, from Baba, from nothing. I'm sorry. It takes a lot of miracles for me to accept that. Too many miracles. I, I don't have that type of a mentality. Yet they'll accept matter, but they won't accept mind. I beg your pardon. I'll take mind. The mind of God. The mind of God. I'll accept that. Because down through the ages, he has not failed. Nor has his creation nor has his heavens, nor has his firmament. We've got, we've got some fellas up there now sending off a little toy into, what is it, Neptune, Venus, Venus. They, 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 hey, they're coming down tomorrow. They're playing around in God's heaven, and you know why they're up there? Because he said it was okay. Come on up, fellas. You know how they got to the, to the moon? Because he said it.